0: I think it's cool, bro. Okay, let's get started. Can you please state your full name for us, sir?
1: Yes, sir. Uh, David Lee Baer.
0: Okay. And what do you do at the moment? Who are you?
1: I'm trying to figure that out every day, man. <laughs> um, I'm a weightlifting coach. I do graphic design. I try to do my due diligence and help out uh, mutual aids or whatever I can. Um and I value being a good person and trying to make the world a better place.
0: That's good, man. So what how did you uh when did you first get started with graphic design? Because that's a a different side of you. So let's talk about that. Ooh. Um
1: I got started with graphic design whenever I was like fifteen. I was in a marketing class in high school and that I took by chance a lot of things or by chance in my life. And there was a graphic designer, uh, that came from AI art Institute and he was talking up graphic design. I thought it was really cool. I thought, okay, if I want to make it good in life, I need to become a graphic designer. So I picked it up and tried my best. I was utter garbage. I did not (laughs) ever go to school for it, but I started a couple businesses. And I use that graphic design to kind of help, like, people don't know this really about me, but I had a CrossFit apparel company that was called No Glory, very local, and the CrossFit gym here supported it. They were super nice. And then a little bit later, Bear Media was founded maybe four years ago, and that's after some college experience with graphic design. Yeah. And it just took off. And then eventually I did a motion design course. um, And that's really where my graphic design skills started to come to fruition. But it was just something that I did because I really liked businesses. I really liked branding. I liked entrepreneur stuff. Granted, I've tend to, politically, I'm anti-capitalist now. So like, that's hard figuring out and re like making sure that my values are aligned with, uh, my work, but it's coming together.
0: That's cool, man. Well, I like that. You said that, you know, when you started, you weren't good and shit, because that's, that's what my whole channel is about is about improving and just showing people that you don't have to be like perfect at something when you started and you know, still get pretty far along in it. So
1: I, so, I forget the actor, but I was watching... I, I went on a spree of Goldcast motivational speeches, and there's this one speech that said, just keep throwing darts. Just keep throwing darts. You never know when something's going to stick. Keep trying stuff. Eventually, you're going to find something that manages to stick around in your life, and graphic design is one of those things for me as well as you know weightlifting. But um, I don't think... I have I suffer from really bad imposter syndrome, so I don't think I'm really that great, but. I've worked with other artists and they think I'm decent, so I'll take it.
0: I mean, I think you're good, bro. This doesn't mean anything coming from me, but I did let you make my logo. So this is true.
1: This is true. (laughs) I have enough people trusting me, like doing the thing that I should just trust myself in doing the thing.
0: Yes, bro. Okay, weightlifting coaching. What? What led you to that? Because everybody, a lot of people want to coach, right? But everyone can't coach or everyone doesn't stick around in it anyways. You have to really want to be a coach. So why do you want to be a coach? How did you get there?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we'll go into detail about the, my, my backstory, my origin story a little bit later, but I, didn't have the best running ins with coaches. I managed to get a lot of bad coaches and I really tried to evaluate whether or not I was the problem, um, because of how often it happened. So I wanted to be a better coach. I wanted to, I knew what it was like to be the eager, hungry athlete who wanted, um, access to whatever options they could to make them better, but didn't have the guidance. And I wanted to be the coach that provided that. That's why I made meta and called it meta, which is most effective tactics available because I want to use all of the most effective tactics available. So that way people don't have to feel, uh, like they need to rely on ped use. Right. Um, we're going to go over your diet. We're going to go over your sleep. We're going to go over your lifestyle, your stress management, like biopsychosocially. There's so many things that go into making a human, a human, and I'm going to overturn all of those rocks that are common places. And with experience, I'm going to get better at that. That was kind of how I went from just focusing on being an athlete to a coach. I also wanted to stay in the sport and make money. I will say coaching is not the most lucrative thing. There are definitely (laughs) other things that you can do other than coaching. Don't like, if you want to be a coach for the money, don't, don't leave, leave. Right. You're heading in the wrong direction. (laughs) (laughs)
0: 100%. Okay. So you said you had a lot of bad coaches before we get into who I probably assume is a really bad coach. What were the things that you considered bad? Like what did your coaches do in the past that you try not to do now, because I have those same kind of stories. You know, what do you what do you think is a good coach?
1: Yeah, I think a good coach is one who listens and tries to put their ego aside. An ego really gets in the way a lot of the times, and I know that with insecurities, sometimes it's really hard to put the ego aside. Um, it's even for me; it's not easy. Being like, you always always have to be on guard and watching out for your ego, getting in the way of your relationship with your athletes. And I think that is what makes a really good coach. And then because if you're willing to put your ego aside, you're willing to look at tactics and strategies that may not be yours. And you're willing to look to other coaches, peer coaches for advice, because maybe you've found a philosophy that really works for almost everybody, but you get one athlete and they're not vibing well with it and you're able to reach out for help. And maybe as I get older and get more experience, that is a tool that I'll use less, but I, I hope not because I think it's just so valuable. And Mm -hmm. as for some of the toxic traits, um, aside from ego, it's I may have already said this, but not listening to feedback and maybe because of like in the U S with weightlifting coaching specifically, you have ranking tiers for coaches. Whenever a coach starts to look at their athlete as an opportunity to get them to the next level and is more focused on that than the athlete's health and their own goals, like sending an athlete, maybe they, maybe they get an injury, right? And right before a big competition and this competition would be the last competition to turn you into a national coach, being able to say, I don't think that, and let's say the athlete comes to you and is like, Hey, my shoulder is messed up. I don't want to compete. My goals don't align with this competition and possibly making it worse. I would rather just take this competition off and focus on longevity. If you as the coach, go into that and you're like no we're gonna compete we need to compete and you try to force them through i think you're doing a disservice to the athlete and you have your ego and what you want wrapped up into that decision more than what they want yeah and that happened a lot to me
0: yeah uh that's why i like uh that's why i like john man we're a perfect fit if i have problems with my body man he will he has no problem being like, all right, let's chill out. Let's not do anything dynamic for two weeks and uh, see how you feel after that. Sometimes I'm like, damn, I didn't want to take two weeks off, bro. I just wanted to just relax this session. But he's so careful about my body. You know, he wants me to be healthy. He doesn't want to break me just for the sake of, you know, trying to clean and jerk 180 or something like that. You know. And, so
1: I mean, that comes from his experience, too. Like, he's lived it so that makes total sense that he would be erring on the side of caution I, yeah. I do see you have the the calpian weightlifting shirt on i do i gotta get one of those man does he even have any of those anymore can he can you buy them like are they is that a thing
0: i don't think so man he presented this to me like it was a gift from god man like <laughs> He's like you're now worthy of having this shirt, and he gave it to me. So <laughs>
1: yeah, it means something to have a calpian or be a calpian. Like the way he, he John Thrush is so cool, man. I whenever I first got into weightlifting here, uh, in Portland, I trained with David Reef, and that was an experience. And knowing that they were like with calpian and w- that that meant something
0: mm-hmm. definitely definitely man John's i want cool to train
1: i want to train with john man i tried i've tried i've hit him up and i've been like hey let's train together it'll be really cool and he just has to get a space set up for it uh, is what he was saying but then COVID hit so i totally understand and now that i got the second vaccine maybe he'll let me in maybe he'll to let me come train with you guys i was
0: about to say bro he, he would definitely let you come in we've been having uh he he got his second shot um i don't know when but since he's done that we've been back having full sessions with everybody on saturdays so
1: i gotta i gotta come through
0: yeah man it's a it's a good environment everybody's cool
1: maybe i can bring my junior i gotta get him more into uh it's been tough with isolation because I'm not able to give him like the social exposure that really helps for weightlifting. Um, and, it does. It helps a lot. Yep. So I, I'll i see about doing something like that.
0: Yeah, that's something I didn't, I, I used to train on my own. Uh, I, when I got into weightlifting in like 2017, I, I had already been lifting since like 2010 ish and i just was like i did squat bench and deadlift by myself i can figure out olympic weightlifting by myself and you know i, I got somewhere but when i started working with john and like actually lifting next to other people that were actually pushing in sometimes doing more than me and stuff i was like oh shit, this is this is totally different just having people to encourage you to even do the lift because when i was lifting by myself man if i was tired i was like i'm going home bro i'm not taking this next lift (laughs) yeah so
1: i mean i've trained alone most of my career especially like after the band and that is so different than whenever i get around an environment i'm willing to do so much harm to my body whenever (laughs) i am around other people i'm like I feel like garbage, but I'm hitting this one thirty clean and jerk. There's no way I'm missing this. I will get buried and I will let my knees crunch to death before I miss this in front of these people.
0: (laughs) That is very true.
1: I'm a show off at heart, like so.
0: Oh, that's just how athletes are, bro. That's just how it works. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Then I don't feel as guilty about it. But like, put me in a room full of people, and I want to flex hard.
0: Yeah, bro. Last the last big session we did I snatched 120 and like I almost died yeah and John's just like that was good man but I'm like oh this guy's about to take another lift I'm like bro let's let's put on 125 John's like you want to put on 125 I'm like fuck yeah bro let's put it on I'll hit that shit you know like yeah (laughs) but if I was by myself I wouldn't even done the 120 bro I would have went home I was so tired bro (laughs) like
1: yeah that's that's how I am except I train in my garage so it's like Home is just through that door.
0: (laughs) That makes it easier. That probably makes it easier to quit, actually. If I could just walk. That's what I I
1: mean. That's what I mean. It's so much easier to just be like, okay, taking off the shoes. It's done. I hate hate my life. I hate today. My identity is gone. Who am I even anymore? And then I come into the house and (laughs) watch some anime or something. I don't know.
0: (laughs) That's hilarious, man. Okay, let's get into this into this serious serious topic bro you served a band when, when did you get banned first of all
1: it was either 2016 or 2017 um uh, the usada article that is public information was listed for 2017 but i think it might have been october 2016 that i uh that my band started
0: okay how long was your band two and a half years no, it, why might, was, it
1: might have been 2017.
0: So you I mean, got done in 2019. Your band was done in 2019?
1: April 2019. Two and a half years.
0: Okay. So, why was your band only two and a half years, first of all?
1: Because I was... Uh, when, Whenever they called me, at first I was going to go with the... It was in my supplements line. And... I didn't know what I was doing, dude. I was a scared kid. Um, And that the investigator that was on me. He was so harsh and so hard on me, which I guess he should be based on the the circumstances. But uh, he was not taking that at all. He was he was like, really? Well, the science says that this is probably not tainted supplements. If you have the the bottles of supplements that you think may be tainted, you're welcome to send them my way and we'll, we'll go ahead and test them for you. And I was like, Oh no, this is not going to work. <laughs> um, and I'm talking with the coach that got me into the drugs uh, loosely. And I'm like, what do I do? And Then I decide, you know, instead of keeping this between me and him anymore, I think it's time that I reach out to somebody that I trust as an adult that is more likely to be objective with this type of scenario than I am. And I call the coach, my first coach and my second coach, both to hear uh, their opinions of what they think I should do in this situation. And I call them one at a time and they both basically to summarize say throw that motherfucker under the bus as hard as you can he deserves it you did not deserve to be in this situation you would be stronger and you would have been like they asked me what my lifts were right now and stuff like that and they said you'd be stronger if you didn't fuck with this stuff like there was no reason for you to be involved with this kind of uh involved with steroids and I was like okay I trust them and I cried you know uh to them because it was a very emotional serious moment and I call USADA back and I'm like I'm willing to tell the truth I'm willing to do whatever it takes just tell me what I need to do and they walk me through that process I tell the whole truth and higher truth as much as much as i uh, could and then they even had a program where you could work with usada and tell your story to try to help promote clean sport i said yeah i want to do it this sucked for me this was a terrible experience do not recommend (laughs) um i would go to And I went to the USADA office and I did a whole interview process. I'm not really exactly sure what happened to the interview. There was construction going on at the same time. So it ended up, I think, the audio not being usable or up to their standards. Um, But they did use quotes of it in articles online, apparently. And that's how I got the shortened ban.
0: Okay. I have some serious, serious questions and none of them are meant to... uh attack you but i want to get into the mindset so first of all how old were you when you started taking this stuff i believe 20 okay i just wanted to make sure you weren't like 16 years old or something like that okay so you're 20 years old mm-hmm. you say that your coach you know put you onto it loosely how much is his responsibility and how much is yours like how much is how, how much blame can you put on him? Because ultimately the decision was yours, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I still take uh, full responsibility for what my choices were. Um, I was aware that what I was doing was wrong. Um, it's not like I just became an ethical, moral person after steroids and after the ban. I was already trying to be an ethical, moral person long before... Uh, drug use and I've always been told that I'm an old soul right Mm -hmm. I just tend to be impressionable that's that's really what it came down to and this coach he made a lot of promises like he made a lot of promises outside of this of you're going to be the co-owner of Vulcan one day uh, I shouldn't have name dropped the the Mm -hmm. gym hopefully censor that out um mm-hmm. but you're gonna be the co-owner of this gym you're gonna be we're gonna start a supplement line together and I'm a young kid and I'm like wow my life's set like my career and my sec- I have so much security in my career now all of these things and opportunities so long as I work on myself I can be what I want to be which is a coach and then I kept bugging him about like. Whenever I wouldn't plateau, like, is this even worth it? Should I even be like an athlete and rather than sitting me down and having the conversation of, well, what's your diet look like? Like, you really need to get these things down. Let's plan it out together. Let's really sit down and and talk about these things or. Go over my lifestyle, like my sleep schedule. Uh, because my sleep schedule was basically non like, uh, consistent and my eating was cramming last second. As soon as I was about to go to the gym and starving probably all morning because I was too lazy to prep anything. Um, and I, to the point where I moved down to Portland to be at this gym also, yeah. I wanted to, I moved my life for this gym. And I really thought this is where my life direction was going.
0: Mm.
1: And then uh, it comes to a serious conversation where I ask him, hey, can we go to the office to speak? And it's this closed closed off area of the gym. And he goes in and I go in. And I'm like, do you think I can be any good? with drug use or without drug use, right? Mm -hmm. And he says, no, he just flat out. No. And I'm like, well, if I want to be good in the sport, what do I got to do? And he told me, well, you got to do steroids. And I was like, okay, well, then I guess we got to get started. Like, I'm eager. I want to prove that I am hungry enough that I want this enough because we are raised with that type of environment in the gym that if you want it bad enough, you're willing to do whatever it takes, even if it's the wrong thing. Right. And he said that whenever I started using, I would feel less guilty because I would look around and I'd see everybody else is on it. He was also constantly talking about how other USAW athletes were doping and he did off hearsay off hearsay. Right. He didn't know. Uh, He was just, he had a hunch because he himself was into drug use and he was projecting, I think, some insecurities onto me. In hindsight, that's the way that I would uh, recall, right? Right. Or interpret what was happening.
0: And, huh? I wanted to know where were you at? in your lifts when you had this serious conversation that he told you that he didn't think you were going to be good? Like how long had you been lifting? What were your numbers at the time?
1: Yeah. I was only lifting like a year and a half. Um, maybe two years. No, maybe two years with CrossFit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and my lifts were 97 snatch and then clean and jerk was, I think 125.
0: And this was at what body
1: weight? 69 kilos. So it's not really competitive, like at all. I'm not
0: near meddling anywhere. 97 Uh, and 125 at 69? At 20 years old, yeah. And you, but you had just started though.
1: Relatively, yeah. I was, I was still like new into it.
0: I mean, yeah, that's not like, world standard but that's not like horrible for just starting you know what i mean like
1: i'll take it i'll take it
0: yeah that's that's decent i i'm surprised that he just straight up told you that you weren't gonna be any good without drugs yeah Yeah.
1: and i even asked i was like even if it takes like eight years um do you think that i can be good like i don't want a shortcut i said i i remember very vividly my memory is garbage on some things but i remember very vividly asking do you think that even if it takes eight years even if it takes 10 years say it's 2008 or 2028 my gosh 2008 that's a long time ago um (laughs) do you think i can be good i don't care how long it takes i don't want a shortcut i only want to do this if it's the only only option and it was still the yeah you need to do steroids so wow and again this is somebody who like as an athlete as a coach i would never have gone this route like even without the experience i've had you are not working on your sleep you super dedicated to training but you're not super dedicated to your diet you're eating fast food and and doing whatever like whenever Uh, very sporadically. There were so many lifestyle things that I needed to work on, especially with stress management, um, that would have came before that conversation. And had he really explored, granted, I know mental health is still very developing. And back then, you know, I'm not sure what the knowledge base was for the average person on mental health, but had he explored a little bit more, he'd find out that I, I have things wrong with me that would introducing hormones it would be very detrimental to that mental health uh, mm. and sure enough it was like i had suicidal tendencies and when doing post-cycle therapy that was very uh con- um it was a lot worse
0: right OK, where at the point that you got caught, where had your lips gone? So before you got on, you were 97, 125.
1: Yeah. So with the first cycle, um, he handled everything. Uh, I was pretty scared of needles, but that's the, the route that we we're going is a test base and LG 4033 as a SARM. He was a big fan of it. And I went to his apartment. He would do the injections on my thigh. It was a very weird experience. And then for the first cycle, I went from 97 to a 105 snatch. Granted, 100 was right there before I started. I just couldn't stand it up. Mm -hmm. And... Then for clean and jerk, I went from that 125 or 127, uh, whatever it was, to 130. So not really a whole lot of difference. And my back squat went from 163 to 170. That's pretty weak for a 12-week 12, 12 cycle with both a test base and a SARM.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, bro, you, you definitely could have done that without... <laughs> without exactly. <trying>
1: to... <laughs> exactly, dude. Exactly. Exactly. And then there's a year off or whatever, probably not a year. Um, and then we do the second cycle. Around this time, my girlfriend che- or at the time cheats on me with a guy who's stronger in the gym. So whatever insecurities I had about my strength and myself blown up uh, even more. And I decide because of that, I'm moving to Colorado Springs. And because I couldn't cope, and there was other things that were going on with this coach. He just started dating somebody. He was putting more effort into them as an athlete. And there was one time I came into the gym, and he was like, I was using the blocks, and he took them away from me and gave them to her because I didn't deserve them. Uh, there, there There was some weird emotional manipulation going on. And I needed to get away from all of it. I was like, I need to escape. This is a toxic environment for me. I need to get out. And my mom is friends with Oscar Chaplin III, Mm -hmm. and I—I mean, I'm friends with him too. But my mom kept in touch with him a lot better than I did. And she was like, "Hey, do you mind like he's because she she knew everything. I had to get her approval to do steroids." And that's why I told my coach at the time. I was like, hey, she needs to be on board with this. If you can't convince her, I'm not doing it. And eventually he convinced her and that it was a good idea. And so she wants me to get away too. She calls Oscar Chaplin and is like, hey, do you mind taking him in? And so I fly down and I live in the same apartment complex as Oscar. And I do the second cycle and my numbers go from... That 105, 130 to 110, 109 for snatch. And then for clean and jerk, it bumped from 130 to 133. Mm. So disappointing. However, my back squat did go from like 173, 174 to 190. So I had a lot better.
0: um, What was your body weight doing? What was it up? same same body.
1: uh it might have been like two three kilos heavier um but i still competed as a 69.
0: okay well that, that the back is actually pretty good improvement so yeah and, and still, those be honest, numbers... i think
1: i could have done a lot more but this is like the the programming i was doing on these drugs was so not good um he did not know programming that well i Like, in retrospect, I don't think he did. And the coach at the time.
0: Yeah.
1: And for me, when I took over my programming, I was just as stupid, if not stupider. And I was just maxing out Bulgarian style in the morning and afternoon.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Because that's what my buddy John Stang did. And i was like oh he maxes out all the time i'll try to keep up with him now that granted he's totally natural i he's actually one of the athletes on the team
0: that's about to you know, say, I'm, i do strong man
1: totally natural he's freak dude i don't know how he did it because i barely kept up even with steroids like we had a front squat competition and i barely kept up with him
0: bro i can't even work out i work out one time bro and i'm white there's no way I could come back for a second workout. Even if the workout was just light, my, like mentally, I'm just like, I'm finished, bro. Like, yeah.
1: So basically both cycles was a huge waste of time. I could have done a lot better without them, just working on my lifestyle. And going back to your question about, you know, why did I become a coach? That's a big reason why. Yeah. Because there, if if there are coaches out there listening to this, and you're like that, like, stop stop (laughs) look at other things that your athletes are doing before you even think of having you shouldn't you shouldn't have that conversation it's big no-no but like there are other things to talk about there are so there is so much more to work with than just oh well we're hitting a wall steroids yeah and go also going back and touching on um how coaches put their ego and what they want. This coach wanted to become a national level coach. And I was one of those slots. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to get me there as fast as possible for his success. And that was one of the reasons he chose to, to push me towards that route. I think, um, uh, yeah. it's tough evaluating his motives and whatnot. He's not able to defend himself. And with all the things that have happened with the IWF, There is definitely I talked with about this on the last podcast, but there is some we are all victims of the systems that encapsulate us. And Mm -hmm. I think whether you're at the bottom level of the sport or the top. You know that there is a pressure to dope under the table, while also like there's this weird duality that is don't dope. But we need you to dope. (laughs) <laughs> because we need to make our money from bribing. Yeah. Right. So I, going back to the the question of who's more in the blame or how do you share the responsibility? I think we're both kind of victims of this weird duality culture that needs to be like addressed. And we both made our faults and we both have to live with it.
0: It's yes, a, uh... That's an interesting way to look at it. That's cool though. That's cool that you're not like completely blaming him. Um,
1: I would be I would be a fool to to fully blame.
0: Yeah. Um. So like getting into the mindset of deciding to do it because someone that's watching this might be on the edge of choosing. You know what I mean? Yeah. What, I, I mean, what do you think tipped you? in that direction, what was your, first of all, what was your ultimate desire in weightlifting? What did you want to accomplish?
1: My ultimate desire was like, be like these athletes tra- uh, competing at Pan Am's right now. Yeah. That was the goal. I hashtagged Olympic hopeful at 17, 18 while lifting in my garage. Like yeah, there was big goals there. And in part, like if that's if drugs is what you have to do to get to that level, um, granted, I don't think the USAW athletes up on there are doping. Um, But I think most of us aren't naive to the fact that these gold medalists in the Olympic categories, A sessions, are not likely to be clean.
0: Right. So how how do you convince someone that's in that position that you were in not to do it? You know what I mean? Like you just said, we know more than likely most of the people out there are. And if you have those big dreams, how do you how do you stop a kid from doing that?
1: Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I have a kid on my team who wants to go to the Olympics and I have to talk with him about being realistic with his life choices and his goals and making sure it all kind of goes together. But what Clarence said, and this is not to say I'm using this towards, uh, the kid I'm coaching, but Clarence says that you shouldn't get, kids shouldn't come into the sport with the false expectation that they can be a professional athlete without having too dope. And I think If you, you should really evaluate yourself and ask yourself, is this really what you want to do? Like, there are so many more things in life to do other than this. And who are you doing it for? Yeah. Who's going to actually care at the end of the day, too? That's true. Um, And know that there's more to, to life than sports. Definitely. And if you're faced... At the barrel of that decision give it a year give it a couple years give it one more year think about it yeah do not be impulsive with this type of decision i think for a lot of people that's where the mistake lies is being impulsive with it i most certainly was and i had somebody who was willing to facilitate that impulsivity
0: yeah right yeah. That's true. I had a couple more questions. I'm 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 digging back cuz I was letting you talk so I didn't I never asked. Oh, okay. You you got popped out of competition, right? Yep. Were you I, in a registered testing pool? Nope. How did that happen?
1: Either my ex-girlfriend uh told them to test me or somebody yeah, else randomly no. tested or t- uh, tipped them off. I don't that's know. That's crazy,
0: bro. Did you ever think that it could have been your coach?
1: Yeah. Yeah. uh, Actually, my first coach still thinks that. Uh, uh, Maybe. I don't know. And it's one of those things. I I don't care. Uh, I'm grateful it happened. Like, there was so much good that came from me getting popped and having to introspect. I think some people never – go through that moment in life where they're you know the humble pie the slice of humble pie i think i i was uh watching one of your youtube videos and you talked about that and that was one of those moments where i had to really sit with myself and i had it was so weird man because everybody knew everybody
0: knew yeah so they did you get popped in colorado did they come to you in colorado
1: yeah. It, funny story, man. Uh, I got the call while I was at the gym, I think. And Elsie was at home. This is whenever we just started dating like three months and she already knew I, I was very upfront and honest with her about using. Um, and she's like, there's these people here to see you at the apartment. And I answered in my underwear and it was super scary. <laughs> and I was like, do you know the badge? Like, do you know who they are? And I'm pretty sure they're USADA, but she doesn't know. And I'm like, oh, no, what do I do? Do I need to run? Like, what? Yeah. <gasps> um, because I wasn't sure if I was going to. It should have been out of my system, I thought. But I wasn't sure still, and I was still scared. And you
0: were off. You were off of it when they tested you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. They actually caught the PCT, the the metabolites of that PCT as well.
0: Uh yeah. so
1: and it was like three months out or something like that from being on anything, maybe more. Um their tests are pretty good. Like there's there are definitely flaws to the testing and there are definitely some substances that are harder to catch than others.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But as for as for this, they were pretty pretty on it. Um, and it was it was just scary oh, and once I met the guy he was super nice um, he came into my apartment it was kind of messy at the time embarrassing and then followed me into the bathroom and watched me pee in a, a cup and then they have <laughs> the glass locking vials that are all and I'm like ooh, I've seen those I've watched Icarus
0: <laughs> so at that moment In your head, were you like, oh, man, I got caught? Or did you think you were going to get away with it still?
1: Yeah. um, I think it was a little bit of both. I was sweating bullets, and I was pretty sure I was going to get caught, but because I'm a paranoid individual. And I kept on messaging the coach that guided me through everything, and I was like, do you think I'm going to pop? Do you think I'm going to pop? Do you think I'm going to pop? And he's like, no, you should be fine. You should be
0: fine. You should be fine.
1: I was Mm -hmm. not fine. I was not fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's uh, that's unfortunate, but it, is, it was probably a relief, right, that you got popped. Like you said, you're you're grateful that it happened. Because uh, who I mean, knows? If you didn't get popped, who knows what more stuff you would have done or what worse things could have happened? You know?
1: Absolutely. I definitely I, – I'm pretty sure I would have done more stuff if I did not get caught um, because I have a very addictive mindset unless something like fucking – I'm – not going to break out of it sometimes. Yeah. And I had a lot of self-loathing at that time. If there was anything that was going to make me stop, it would have been Elsie. Yeah. Um, and getting caught was just the wake-up call. And I think I, I, I appreciate it, especially in hindsight. I kind of appreciated it then, especially because I'm able to tell my truth. Like, yeah i've never liked lying i've never been i i don't feel like i've ever been good at it (laughs) like short term sure i can i can pass a lie um don't get me wrong if we're playing board games and lying is involved i will own it but long-term lies and my memory do not mesh well together so i'd rather just be truthful tell the, the whole truth all the time it's so much easier and because of that whole scenario of everything that happened i'm allowed to tell my truth and not only that i'm able to try to use it for good um yeah. and that is a
0: rare circumstance it's true how is how is training now without it because
1: <laughs> yeah it was a uh, it was tough like for three years i i think i didn't hit a pr um like i was dependent on steroids mentally yeah and if i wasn't taking something i felt like i wasn't able to get better for a long time mm-hmm. and anytime it came to a heavy pr attempt i would clark it like i would just oh it's not there mm-hmm. even though it probably looked really strong and i worked with northward Adanian after i worked with oscar chaplin the third i worked with uh zigmit a little bit mm-hmm. and I had every reason to to make progress, and I just didn't. And then, I, and I worked with Will Fleming. Um, eventually, I broke past it, and I've my snatch is now one twelve, and my clean and jerk is now one thirty seven. So, mm-hmm. I feel pretty good about that, and I think it's definitely. A different experience with steroids than without, and I think it takes a different approach in training. I used to be very aggressive in training, yeah. and now it's more so. I'm focused on the stimulus. I'm focused on the the numbers, the tracking, um, setting myself up for success. I don't really care to beat myself up for a PR anymore. Yeah. And maybe that also comes with aging. For sure. It's not. It's a lot harder confidence wise and you have to find a different place of confidence
0: Yeah,
1: whenever you were so used to not relying on yourself, but rather relying on a substance like for athletes that have never used at all. Um, and they have a ton of confidence in their abilities. Like John Stang, for example, right? Mm. That's important for the yes. biopsychosocial model. And I didn't have that. That got taken away from me.
0: Yeah.
1: And I had to rebuild that. And that ta- that took a lot of time. Now I'm at that point. I just train alone a lot. So it's, it's difficult to break through uh, plateaus.
0: Yeah, I was actually going to say... I think that's one of the worst things in, in your situation and for other people is the fact that you took it before you had a good sense of yourself and how you should train and how you should get better. I mean if I'm how old are you right now?
1: Twenty-seven
0: almost. Okay. I'm not that much older than you, but when I when I started training like in, in just regular gyms and stuff, 2009, 2010, whatever. The older guys would say, you know, if you ever do stuff like that, wait till you're like closer to 30, wait till you like really know how to train, really know how to blah, blah, blah. And then it'll just only, you know, just magnify that. But like you said, if you, if you started super early before you've done anything, then all you know is when I take this stuff, I, I hit new numbers and then in, in your head, that's the, like you said, it's the only way that you can do it. Whereas yeah, you kind of
1: condition you, yourself for it.
0: Yeah. Whereas if you had done what you're doing now, uh, and then taking it on top of it you still shouldn't have but it would be uh you probably would have made better improvements than like putting three kilos on your lips or something like that you dude
1: know? absolutely absolutely there are so many things going on in my head like i said um there were so many things that i needed to address mental health wise long before i ever touched substances like that because hormones do influence your mind and the way you think um yeah. And you could, you know, there's other conversations that kind of parallel this pretty closely, like hormone therapy for, for people who are under 20. I don't know how that works necessarily, but I know that it's very hard whenever your mind is still trying to find itself and its identity, whenever you introduce hormones, because it just makes it that much more elusive. I feel like at least from my perspective. Right. Mm -hmm. And It's one of those things that you don't really know until you've done it.
0: Yeah. You also keep uh, speaking generally about your mental health issues. Do you not want to specifically say it?
1: I don't mind going into it. It's just I haven't gotten, uh, I haven't talked with a therapist about it in depth. And you don't have
0: to. I was just wondering if you were... if you were... I'm
1: comfortable like talking about how I have ADHD and I've gone through uh, suicidal crises. Um, totally comfortable with that. Anything about that. And dealing with insecurities, imposter syndrome, all of those things really go hand in hand with I think ADHD. I've learned a lot about ADHD, but it's... You always got to be careful with self-diagnosis.
0: Right. So actually, that is something along the lines that I wanted to say, though, because you, you're you discovering that, but you, you didn't know that at the time that you took drugs, right? I had no idea. So that's what I was going to say. That is something that we should actually be telling people, too. Like, hey, man, you might have something that you don't even know about, and then you're putting drugs on top of that. You know what I mean? So that just further gives you something to think about when you're thinking about messing with your hormones, you know?
1: Exactly. Like it just, it just makes, like I said, it makes it more elusive to find yourself and to learn about yourself because you're changing. Yeah. Like there's probably some gene expressions that change with the hormone introduction. And with that gene expression, you may have personality changes. Like there's so much that we're still learning about the human body. Yeah and you don't i feel like you know you don't have to take a puritan route where you don't do anything ever um but with things like hormones i think it's definitely a lot more serious
0: oh yeah for sure yeah no it definitely uh affects people in different ways i know quite a bit of people that do it uh just hey. because i'm a full-time personal trainer i deal with bodybuilders and stuff all the time yeah You know, someone might say, oh, I take tests and I feel like on top of the world. My mood is blah, 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 whatever, whatever. And someone else says, I don't feel anything. I recover better, but I don't feel any changes in my mood. I don't feel blah, blah, blah. Or same thing like you were saying earlier. Some people get off and during their post cycle uh, therapy, they feel down or they feel suicidal or they feel whatever other yeah. people they don't feel anything and, and it obviously- depends
1: what substances you're using too like there's so yeah. many variables and that's an that's another thing of why I wouldn't say uh, be impulsive about it because there are so many variables to learn about and so many intricacies that you I, you're not going to learn it in 6 months you're not going to learn it in 8 months you're you it's probably going to take years of learning uh, yeah. and that's if you already have a pretty solid base of anatomy biology.
0: Yeah, I agree. 100%. I, um, I've met a lot of kids and I'm going to say kids cause they're like 18, 19 years old that tell me that they're doing stuff. And I'm just God. like, Oh, why are you doing that? You haven't even worked out. Like you just started life. Like
1: I always find it funny uh, the, the amount of confidence they approach with that too. Like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm doing this. So it's like, trust me. I, I know where you're coming from. It's yeah. not healthy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, bro. Been there, done that. Not, yeah. not good. I, mean, anybody... I posted. Uh, sorry to interject, but um, I posted on TikTok my story, and the first thing that got posted in the comments is, "Come look at this. Uh, look at my page. There's 14 year olds doing SARMs, and it's like two kids running an account together, of uh, doing SARMs at 14." And I'm like, "What is the world coming to?"
0: Yeah, that's nuts, man. That is uh that's crazy. Anybody that follows me or that has followed me for long enough that they know me probably knows that I'm not against it at all. Like if yeah. that's what you want to do, that's cool, bro. But I do there are always, levels.
1: There are still levels to this shit.
0: Yeah, I'm always telling people. I'm like, hey, man, like if you do want to do that, like you should really, really, really think about what you're doing, and you should be sure, and you should know the risk, and you should say, you know, if these risks happen, then that's my own fault. But yeah. there's a lot of people that do shit, and they're like, oh, well, I didn't know this was going to happen. It's like, well, you should have fucking looked into that, bro. Like, you're playing yeah. with your, your hormones. You or, know? Like, like,
1: they they didn't think it was going to happen. They knew that it was a possibility. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's why I say, like, be sure about it, but then wait. Give it some time. Because we've all had that impulse buy that went wrong. And it, for less permanent serious things so like with something like this take the time take the time take a year it's not like going out and buying a bicycle
0: yeah yeah man it's uh it's it's some heavy stuff i don't recommend it to people but like i said it's it's their lives so
1: yeah i mean we all everybody you know picks their poison
0: yeah for sure for sure man i think we uh I think we covered everything that I wanted to cover about that. That was good. Can I tell
1: you about my magical day yesterday?
0: Oh, yeah. Go ahead, bro. That'll be a perfect finish to this conversation. Yeah. So
1: where to start? Um, I have some like daddy issues, I guess, with my real dad. And this day somehow without, you know, if you've experienced trauma, there are some days that just kind of hit you in the face and wake you up. And it's like, Oh yeah, this is your origin. Remember like who you are. And, uh, guess what? You're going to be working through some of that trauma today. You didn't expect it, but you know, it's going to hit you. Um, and it's so by chance, like one thing after another, there was a coincidence. So like Elsie was supposed to get her tattoo in Portland last week. She went, forgot her ID. So mm-hmm. she had to reschedule it for this Thursday. This Thursday was the day after I got my vaccine shot mm-hmm. and what I said, my second one. And what I said, after I get the vaccine, I'm going to cut off all my hair that I've grown out since COVID isolation and a little bit longer than that for charity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so we go to Portland and like a dunce, I didn't charge my phone the day before. and I also didn't make an appointment for haircuts and that's like good luck getting a haircut during COVID right now um, Mm -hmm. without setting an appointment in advance, especially Mm -hmm. if you want to go to a good place and not just great clips. Okay. Because we don't stand great clips. (laughs) Um, And we go to Portland, we get Boba and I'm like, you know, it's going to be the last day I have my long hair. I want to go out and take pictures.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I find a spot. I start taking pictures. My phone is dying. And I have not made the appointment for the haircut yet. So take the pictures. Wow, they really came out good. And I'm trying to pretend to be a villain. I'm like Aaron Yeager from (laughs) anime Attack on (laughs) Titan, trying to get into that vibe for these pictures. And then I come back to the car. I start calling up places. And I think I'm 15 calls deep and I get a place that answers and actually has an opening. And I'm like, cool. Awesome. I'm going to go there straight away and I start heading there and I'm on 1% battery. My phone says it's going to die by one uh 2:20. Yeah. It's 2:23. So, it's it's going to die. Yeah. And I don't know how to navigate Portland without my GPS. So, We're going or I'm going to the barbershop that I found and I get there and it's just a really cozy environment. I feel like I can be myself. I get my haircut. Magical experience, like new beginnings, right? I don't know if you've ever had one of those haircuts. I have. (laughs) And then my phone's dead shoot, how am I going to get back? Elsie's tattoo is going to finish eventually. And how is she going to get a hold of me? I have her car.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I finished the haircut. I tell her what I'm doing with it. She was super nice. And uh, it was Dean's barbershop in Portland. And turns out it was the first African-American owned barbershop in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a coincidence. That's so cool. And I was able to talk, like she was listening to a sports radio station and it was talking about the current events and like with the Derek Chauvin trial and whatnot. And we mm-hmm. were able to talk about that. And it was just a really good time. I, I genuinely felt like I was able to be myself. And mm-hmm. with not being exposed to a ton of people, uh, it was just nice. And she preps my hair for me to be able to donate it finish it up i'm like hey do you have a charger no she doesn't have a charger Mm -hmm. darn that is uh or they did but it was a micro sd not a micro USB C, so it wasn't the charging cable that worked for my phone and uh, she tells me go up this road mlk boulevard and then uh turn right and there will be a shell station and i'm like okay i'll go to the shell station And I go to the shell station and as I'm walking there and I'm in the front of the entrance, I look to my right in the parking lot, kind of in between a car and the wall. And there's this seemingly homeless guy petting a dog. And I think, oh, wow, that's a cute dog. Uh, It's a pit bull. And that is where I met Chris, who I haven't officially met yet. And I go inside they don't have a charger for me to use and they don't have a charger to sell me. They don't have the box. Mm. They have it for vehicles, but not for a wall port at a gas station. And he tells me to go to Walgreens. I'm like, okay, that's my next objective. And I come outside and the same guy who was petting the dog approaches me and is like, Hey, can you spare a dollar? And I always, if somebody catches me out of the blue and asks me, I will give. I don't normally give to panhandlers, um, but sometimes I do. This guy approaches me. I'm like, I tried to tip Pearl, the person who did my hair, an extra $6 out of the 10 that I already tipped her. She turned it Mm -hmm. down. She took the 10 tip, didn't keep the six. So I I happen to have $6 left. If it was only a $5 bill, I wouldn't have given it money, probably. That would have been too much. Yeah. But because I had a $1 bill, I was like, sure, I got a $1 bill, and I'll keep this $5. Um, I'm kind of fucked right now, my guy. Um, I need to get to a charging station or something to charge my phone. That way I can get a hold of my girlfriend, because she just got her tattoo, and I'm just telling him for whatever reason. I'm just making, making small chat. And he's like, oh, would you like to come to my vehicle and charge, charge your phone? I was like, serious? Do you have this, like, charging port? Do you know how, like, much hassle you'd save me?
0: Were you uh, sketched out? Not at all. No,
1: Not at all. I am not the type. Um, I will never be sketched out by somebody until there is a clear sign that I need to be sketched out. I try not to judge people by, the, by their cover at all.
0: Nah, I wouldn't. I didn't really mean the fact that he might have been homeless. Just the fact, like, hey, you want to come to my car and charge your phone? I'd have been like, uh.
1: I'm the type to go for a ride. If, uh, if, nah. if maybe, <laughs> maybe there's some, you know, white privilege there or something. But I'm just like, I am. If, if I'm getting kidnapped today, I'm getting kidnapped today, and that is the whim of the universe, right? Um, I'm not religious or spiritual by any means, but that's my mindset going into these type of scenarios and First. I need my phone charged. So like <laughs> if, if it works out, the, the risk reward is pretty great right now. Okay. Uh, and so I go to his vehicle and he's talking to me about how he doesn't do cell phones and whatnot. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Whatever. Um, and I get to the vehicle, he opens the door for me. And tells me sit in and I'm like, okay, that's a little bit more than I was. I was just going to plug it in and then kind of stand outside of the car. I wasn't really going to be in the car, but okay. Um, I don't want to turn down the hospitality. I get in the car and plug in my phone. It's cleaner than Elsie or my car. Like <laughs> it's a clean car and it smells nice. It actually smells like uh, they have a wind uh, or air freshener and it smells like cherries. And I have the most profound, in-depth conversation with Chris and Ed. Um, Ed's just kind of listening to me and Chris talk about our lives, but we were able to, I was able to go into politics, I was able to go into uh, my, what happened with my dad and heroin, and I asked his opinion on heroin, like from a different perspective that I would normally not hear And whether or not it needs to be stigmatized, what his thoughts are on legalization of uh, hard drugs, and he thinks that people would, a lot less people would use if it got legalized, and he thinks it would be a lot safer and help a lot of people. I was like, that's good to know, man. You you tend to, I can tell by looking at his face and the way he answers my questions that he thinks very deeply about these things, Mm -hmm. and he has it. He comes at this from a different perspective than I could possibly even imagine and seven he's 72 years old he lost his wife and his baby last year at the same time in a tragic incident and 19 months ago he lost his mom and he lifted his shirt and he's got cancer Mm -hmm. he is lit up like a christmas tree like i could not remember all the types of cancer he told me he had and I can see the skin cancer, though.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm like. He says, why live after that, you know? And I was like, yeah, but you're still here, aren't you? You're still here. And now I'm having a conversation with you, Chris. And I just got done having my haircut done. It's a very ceremonial day. I happen to get selfies. And my, the only reason that I ended up meeting Chris is because of all the things that happened before. Elsie's tattoo reschedule, uh, the phone, not me not charging my phone and being a dunce, me getting selfies before making the appointment, me having to call 15 people, and then I happen to find go into the one shop that is the first African-American owned in Oregon, and then Pearl points me to Shell Station. I go to Shell Station, I meet Chris, I have the money that I wasn't able to tip Pearl to give to him and I give him the extra five after I get my 14% on the charge. What a day.
0: That's pretty crazy.
1: And it's a day I'll never forget. It's one of those days that hits you in the face. And after you experience it, you're like, my whole life has changed. Yeah. And I don't know how yet.
0: I was going to say, how did it change? <laughs> but you answered it. <laughs>
1: yeah. I don't know how yet I but. I ended up working through a lot of stuff. And I don't like it's so hard to put into words or how to explain it, but I worked through a lot of the trauma with my dad just by talking with Chris and. I wish I was able to get his information. I'll never meet that person again. Maybe. Yeah, very unlikely um he He lives in Washington normally and he's down uh he lives in a car
0: you know um somebody might see this and know him bro
1: who knows who knows um i would I would be grateful if that ever happened um because he was a pretty cool guy um I know people who uh they listened to if you meet somebody who's homeless and you tell them things about this guy or or girl, they tend to be like, oh, they're probably just lying. No. Yeah. No. This guy was being so genuine with me. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think it's rare to come by those people who are willing to be absolutely genuine and lay everything on the table. And I found out some pretty dark things about Chris that um, I'm not going to repeat here, but it, yeah. was, it it. almost kind of just reminded me that I'm human. And even if the worst things happen to me, I'm still going to have a will to live. I'm still going to want to be alive.
0: Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah. That is a pretty mystical day. Yeah.
1: I'm glad I actually got to tell it before I forget.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and now it's on record. So if you do forget, you can... Pull it back I, up and say, "Oh yeah, that's-
1: I can show my kids this one day.
0: It's true. Yep, and YouTube gets deleted and Spotify gets deleted. Then oh
1: yeah, yeah. No, I'll hopefully have a hard copy of that. Uh, that I'll save on my Google Drive and then hopefully that doesn't get deleted.
0: Smart, smart man.
1: Yeah. Uh, anyways, dude, uh, I I don't know if you have anything else to talk about that, but this was this was fun. Yeah, you're was, gonna let man. me lift with you again, or uh, not again, ever,
0: ever, bro. Uh,
1: your schedule, you're always like, uh, maybe I this. No, man, that's why you just need to come to John's, man. Watch Jeez. the one day I come to John's, you not be there.
0: Nah, bro, I'm there every Saturday, no matter what. The only, the only Saturday I won't be there is December 19th because my wedding will be, or December 18th. My wedding will be on Saturday, actually. Congrats. If not Saturday, then it's Friday. But either way, I'm going to be in Puerto Rico, so I'm not going to be here. But besides yeah. that, I'm there every Saturday, no matter what, bro. Heck yeah. Um,
1: I will try to come down on a Saturday. How packed is it on Saturdays? Like, is there enough for two or three people? Two okay. of which have their vaccine? Hmm? two of which will have both shots of the vaccine one of which
0: is I, I don't think John cares bro here's the thing like John may
1: not care but I I try to I try to I also care I don't want to oh,
0: get I, I got you I got you but on Saturdays it's kind of random man he he tells us all to come but everyone doesn't always come like I said I'm the I'm probably the constant and I'm the one that he cares about because I'm the one that's going to compete and stuff. Everyone else is kind of just training. Okay. Uh, we got, we got another guy. guy that
1: doesn't just, care about anybody else, but you got it.
0: I mean, yeah, he's, <laughs> he, he's, he's open. He says that he's like, you know, I love all you guys, but he's the one that's going to try to compete. He's the one that's like trying to move up in the sport. You know, we got another guy that just uh, started recently drew. He is trying to, but everyone else, they're like, 37, 38, shit. They're his old lifters, you know. So they're just still lifting just to lift. So if he if they don't come, he's gonna be like, Oh, where's he at? Oh, I don't know. If I don't come, he's gonna text me, like, why didn't you come to the session? You know, like Yeah, 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 uh Um, yeah. Uh what'd you say?
1: You're day one, you're a true one,
0: you're a real one. (laughs) They're the day ones, they're just not competing anymore. So but, uh, yeah, sometimes there's, you know, six, seven, eight people in there and there's, there's only four platforms, but you know, people that are similar in strength will just lift on the same platforms, And we'll just, uh, like last, la- last session, I shared a platform with a guy uh, named Matt and I'm a little bit stronger than him. But I just took the same jumps as him, so I I did a couple of extra lifts that I wouldn't normally do, you know, yeah. just because I didn't feel like changing the plates. So I'm like, yeah, bro, I'll just do that weight, you know. Yeah,
1: I'm good with sharing uh, a platform and weight. That's how I was raised as an athlete. So
0: yeah, but then there's other Saturdays, man, where just like four of us show up or three of us show up, and then just kind of chill up in there. So it would just it would depend. There's really no way of knowing how many yeah. people are in there.
1: I think I'll try to come down on a Saturday. Uh, Normally, that's my strength day, or at least in this block it is. But I can move something around. I was
0: going to say, bro, just do it.
1: Just do it.
0: Yeah, I'll try. It's one Saturday, bro. I can't mess you up that bad. Yeah,
1: you're right. You're right. (laughs) I mean, I'll just move my strength day to to friday and then do my classic lift day on saturday i'll be more fatigued for it and it won't be as ideal but it's whatever it, it like in the grand long scheme of things it doesn't matter and the the this psychosocial aspect of training around other individuals will probably make up for it plenty
0: i was gonna say john doesn't allow people to like really max out anyways so like wherever your last lift that looked good is he's probably gonna be like we should probably stop here today you know yeah he doesn't
1: want to see ugly lifts he's he's seen enough of that in his lifetime
0: yeah unless unless like like if your pr snatch is 109 and you do 109 and it's like eh, it's like ah man but i think you could hit 112 right now it's like okay well then put it on yeah you know, but if you do an ugly like 103 or something, you're not going up, bro. It's over. You're done for the day. So, yeah.
1: I mean, I haven't hit heavy like classic lifts uh, in a minute. I took like a long break in December. Um, a little bit of win- seasonal depression and just work- trying to work through some things yeah. um, lifestyle wise, like in work wise, trying to get just through and survive really because of the yeah. no motivation whatsoever for anything right. and took a break then early this month, kind of just getting back into it. And then I got a cold and then I have the two, two COVID shots uh, or Pfizer shots that I've had to get. Um, granted, I didn't get any side effects from either of them. Mm. Yeah. Elsie's je- pretty jealous of that. Because she got a bad fever on the second one.
0: Yeah, that's what happened to most people. I know. The second one put them down for pretty much the whole day.
1: Yep. And maybe a little bit of the next day. Yeah. Um, that's what I was expecting. And I was like ready for the experience. I was like, I'm up for the ride. Uh I only get to experience this once in a lifetime, and then nothing happened. That's funny. I was kinda disappointed, but whatever.
0: Well, that's good that nothing happened to you, man.
1: Yeah. I'm just, I'm not as open to getting COVID. I, that, I'm okay with passing on that human experience.
0: Me too, man. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I, I've i learned too much about the, how the ACE2 receptors can interact with the brain to where I'm like, that's the stuff I'm not looking, I don't want. Like, there was one person I heard, or like, she's now like being tested on or being interviewed because of her case, but she couldn't recognize her dad. That's crazy. Yeah. Because it, it messed with the facial recognition part of your brain.
0: It doesn't even make sense to me. I literally can't like comprehend that.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's in the same way that it messes with your uh, sense of smell and your taste, right? Neurologically. That's, how it messed with facial recognition. Is it well, I
0: mean, that's that's honestly the same thing. Like I remember I was exactly. talking to my I was talking to my girlfriend and I was like, what is not being able to taste something? Like I can't I can't imagine not being able to taste something. I'm like, will I know that I can't taste something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, or am I going to just be eating and I'm like, this tastes oh my god, I don't taste anything. Like I don't, I don't know. It's like I can't picture what not taste something Not tasting something is like
1: Yeah. It's weird." I mean, it's also trippy whenever apparently your taste and smell start coming back because everything and like taste and smells the same.
0: That's weird. So like
1: you go to the bathroom, take a dookie, like smells the same as your morning breakfast.
0: That's not good. That's not
1: good, man. (laughs) I like I have a hard enough time eating and... I, I need things to taste and smell good for me to like eat enough food. If I can't, how, how does one, how does one body build? How does one put on mass?
0: Yeah. That's, that's a, uh, that's a little bit crazy, man.
1: Yeah. Not about it. Not about that life. Anyways, <laughs> uh, enough about the, the C word. Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: um, yeah, this, man. This it's a lot been... of fun, man. Thanks for having yeah. me on.
0: Thanks for being here, bro. Um I think we covered everything we were supposed to cover, so we are finished. And uh, yes. I am going to stop recording this, bro. Recording, yes. Okay.